supposed, what it would seem by Satan himself, to keep me from this subject. And it began to come to me that that which is the dearest to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ is at the top of the list, as it were, of those things that Satan will attack. And that is the offerings that came through this tabernacle to, uh, as offerings to God. Now, this subject of the offerings is close to the tabernacle. And what I am going to be, what the Lord has laid on my heart this afternoon to emphasize a little bit more is a subject that is, I'm afraid to uh, to say it, but I think it is true. It seems ever more apparent that this truth of what the burnt offering is is slipping away from us, beloved ones. We're losing sight of those three offerings that came through the tabernacle, which are known as sweet-smelling savor offerings. There are only three of them. We're going to look at them in a few minutes. The fourth one is the sin and the trespass offering. Now, it isn't a sweet-smelling savor offering. So often we are just taken up, sad to say, sometimes on Lord's Day morning, with that aspect of it, the sin offering, which really is not a worship offering at all. It was for the failure of those people, as we mentioned in the camp, that needed to, because of having committed an offense in ignorance, they required that sin offering. But the sin offering isn't a worship offering. It isn't that which uh, would bring before us the loveliness of the person of Christ. And it is my purpose now for the first half of our talk tonight to go in briefly, quickly, into the offerings, the first four chapters of Leviticus. It may be a little bit harder for younger ones, but I just say to you, you dear boys and girls that are here a little bit older than the young children here, they won't be able to quite grasp this. If you pay attention to this, it's going to be invaluable to you because we who are older, our passing on of the Lord doesn't come soon. We're going to be away. And the younger ones that are growing up in the assembly, you young brothers, Oh, it is so important to be established in this truth. So let's turn to the book of Leviticus. This is the burnt offering. This offering was brought by four different groups in four different paragraphs here in the this first chapter. There were different sized animals. And I would just like to explain a little bit about this. The four different t sizes of the animals would indicate to you and to me not our wealth. It reflected their wealth there. A rich man could bring a large animal of the herd. A poor person would only be able to bring some birds. 
that isn't in, in application to a Christian, but it does, I believe, have this meaning that those who know very little of what the burnt offering really is, if you are living up to what you know, it ascends to God as a sweet-smelling savor. But as we progress in our Christian pathway, as we learn more of what God sees in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, as we grow in that knowledge, then we are like the man who brings a, a larger animal and so on, right up to the larger, largest of these animals. Do I make that plain? Yeah. Richness uh, produced a bigger animal in the, sto the story we'll look at. A learning more of the blessed Lord Jesus and what that blessed one is to God. Not what he is to you and to me alone. It's fundamental, of course, to know that the Lord Jesus Christ died for my sins. But that is the fourth one down, if I could use that term, along the road. The sin offering is not in connection with lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ to God to get a view of what God sees as to the cross of Christ. It's a burden on my heart uh, to pass on this truth, <laughs> no credit to me. But uh, we just learn these things as we go on, and I just would like to pass on a few thoughts about it. So we're going to look now at the first chapter, and we'll remember that this is the animal that was brought by the man, and the whole of the animal was burnt and went up to God except the skin. That's the burnt offering. Everything went up to God. Now, I'm going to relate these things to the Gospels, the four Gospels. And we will remember that the burnt offering is like John's Gospel. It isn't a question of any sins that this man had committed. It was just a voluntary offering that he was bringing to bring to God. And so the burnt offering aspect, view of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, is what God sees in that death of Christ. John's Gospel brings that before us. We don't have in John's Gospel, for instance, the hours of darkness. That was the Lord Jesus made sin. That's Matthew and Mark only. They are the trespass and the sin offerings. But in John's Gospel, we don't have any, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? None of that, because that again is the sin offering. And so in John's Gospel, it is that perfect one offering himself in perfection to God his Father. Not for our sins, but offering himself as a perfect sacrifice to God. So we'll read now a little bit. Leviticus 1, verse 3. If, now here is the beginning of four paragraphs. If his offering be a burnt offering, a burnt sacrifice of the herd, large animal, 
Let him offer a male. Had to be a male because it was perfect. It was Christ in perfection without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will. The new translation makes it plainer. For his acceptance at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Now, we'll pause there for a minute. One is only a male. The second thing is only on this occasion does the man put his hand on the head of the animal before it died. It's not a question of, as in the sin offering, of the man transferring his sins being transferred onto the animal, but it is the reverse. It is the acceptance of that animal's sacrifice to God being transferred onto the man. Now, let me relate this a little bit to our being gathered to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when we remember him in his death. It says that this do in remembrance of me. It's not a question of what the Lord Jesus did that for, for our sins. No, it is the fact of the Lord Jesus dying on the cross, totally giving himself to God. If you and I will just grasp this, you will find what a change it will make in your worship of God. Because the tendency always, as I said, is to occupy ourself and to think of what, or at least occupy ourselves with ourselves, and to think of what the Lord Jesus did for me. Now, when we are gathered Lord's Day morning, it is not for that purpose. We are redeemed people. We have been redeemed. We are brought, we are fit to come into the Lord's presence. And so we're, we're accepted in the beloved Ephesians 1 and 4. That's our position. We're, and if we come in Lord's Day morning, pardon me for speaking plainly. I'm not aiming these remarks at you. It is just, uh, as if all the assemblies, if we could just grasp these things, we wouldn't be coming in Lord's Day morning in an unfit way. In other words, not prepared Saturday and then the result is that maybe we were singing a lot of hymns about the Lord Jesus dying for me or for us and so on. Well, beloved ones, that's the sin offering. That's the sin offering. Whereas if we realize that we have been accepted in the beloved one, it's not a question of are we accepted? We are. And we are here gathered to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as members of his body, fit to be here. We have boldness to enter in, as we read uh, in Hebrews chapter 10. And so here is this man. He offers this large animal, and it will go on a little bit more now. He has laid his hand on it, and it, has, it will be accepted for him. Verse 5. And he shall kill, the man shall kill that, not the priest. He shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood 
round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and he shall lay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces, and the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar, but his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now there was the first and the largest of the animals that is mentioned. It was going to ascend up to God as a sweet-smelling savor. This is worship, beloved ones. This is fruit-bearing for God. So often we're hearing these days that service, preaching the gospel and so on, is, is worship. Well, it could flow out of worship, but it really isn't worship. It is in connection with service. Whereas when we are occupied with the Lord Jesus and what he is to his Father, oh, it is going to be we are just out of, the, out of sight completely. If I never thought about myself, I'd be perfect. And that is what we need to uh, remember, beloved ones, when we are gathered into the blessed holy presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to lift up Christ to God, to thank God the Father for having provided that blessed one and to remember the depths to which he went in order to glorify God. The Lord Jesus could say in John 17 verse 4, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I have glorified thy name on the earth. He finished the work. What was the work? It was to glorify his Father. That was the work that the Lord Jesus was given. We'll see later on in Hebrews. Now that was the first animal. The next paragraph, I'm not going to read it again, but it is uh, much the same. Verse 10. And if his offering be of the flock, now this is a smaller animal, namely of the sheep, then it goes through all the details of it, a male, and go down to the End of the 13th verse. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Identical words. Verse 14. And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord be of fowls, the birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons. Little different details there. The feathers were to be plucked away. In other words, there was to be nothing that was going to be attractive outwardly. It was that uh, those feathers were to be taken off. In another place it says the crop was to be cast away. So often, beloved ones, I trust I say this properly, undigested food in the crop leads to saying things that are not according to the word of God. And we have to be very careful, do we not, that we are teaching truth according to the word by God's grace and that there are not in ourselves uh, things that I have read from some of the early brethren's writings and I'm re just reciting it 
that would just be like undigested food in my crop. And that food, that crop had to be thrown away. It wasn't part of the burnt offering. But notice now the end of the 17th verse, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. It was just as accepted to the, by the Lord whether that poor person would bring a little bird. Just imagine, just bring a little bird and bringing it to the priest. God valued that. And you dear younger ones, you might find it a little bit hard to understand these, this truth. But you try to grasp it. And you boys and girls that are here, if you just get a little bit of this, it would be just like you bringing a bird. Uh, like a person bringing a bird here. The Lord will be pleased. God the Father will be pleased. And I'm going to tell you boys and girls that you're going to grow in your soul. We're living in dreadful days. And if the Lord doesn't come soon, I believe our assemblies are just going to be shaken. They've never been shaken before. The storms are coming. And you and I need to be established in the present truth in order to be able to withstand, as we sung, the fiery darts of the enemy. Because Satan is attacking this truth more than anyone else, anything else, because it robs the Lord of his glory. That's the burnt offering. The second chapter brings before us an entirely different offering. No death at all. It was just meal, flour, fine flour. And the man would bring possibly a bucket of that fine flour to the priest. The priest would take a handful of it out of that bucket and he would take it over to that brazen altar and that would be poured onto the fire and it goes up to God. Now this is like all the Gospels because they present the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, just his life, and his death, of course. But it is the fine flower representing the evenness of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. No, could I say it reverently, I trust so, no special personality connected with the Lord Jesus. Sometimes somebody says, uh, do you know so-and-so, brother so-and-so? Yes, and, and then they make a few little comments about him. And that's a, a few of, uh, those are a few of his characteristics. We recognize him by that. The Lord Jesus had nothing such. Nothing such. He was even in, in his personality, completely. No one part more developed than another. When I was a kid, my mother, during the First World War, she... He used to buy a big barrel full, or at least she had a big red barrel, and it was filled with flour. She'd buy it in big quantities. When she wasn't looking, I'd go into the pantry, and in my dirty hands, I'd go into the barrel and run my hands through that lovely, fine, smooth flour. I still remember it. It's 65 years ago, I guess. I still remember that. I, I remember the smoothness of it. That's our blessed Lord Jesus' life, the fine flower. Let's just read a few words from the second chapter. 
And when any will offer a meat offering, see, it's not for sin, it is a voluntary offering, unto the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it, and put frankincense thereon. Oil is a picture of the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Lord Jesus. He was anointed with oil. And the frankincense brings before us the glories, the beauty of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the Gospels bring this before us. And he shall, verse 2, And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take thereout his handful of fine flour, and of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So we'll pause there. Now, as I said, no blood or no death connected with this. It's the life of the Lord Jesus. But it had to be put onto the fire. That which ends, I should say, yes, the ends the life of the Lord Jesus here on this earth is his going to the cross. That is what puts value to his, his, his life puts value to his death, who he is. So important for you and for me to realize it's not just a, a person. It is God himself become man, living a perfect sinless life on this earth and at the end of his life, laying himself with all his loveliness and his graces on that altar for God. As I said, those are, those are the, all the four Gospels. Now we go to the third chapter, and here we have a beautiful story to tell. Here is the peace offering. In French, we call it l'offre de prospérité, a prosperity offering. At the supper table, we were just pointing out that a year or two ago, as I was thinking about this, these offerings, I just saw, I trust I say it reverently, the shape of the cross. Here's the cross. Here's the ground. Here are the, cro the cross bar. Here is one piece pointing up to God. It's separate. At least it's above the bars. And there it is, pointing up to God. That's like the burnt offering. All for God. All for God. Nothing to do with our sins at all. They're the trophies of the grace of the Lord Jesus in his death. And Jesus has died and God gives you and me to Christ as a reward for his death. But there is like the burnt offering pointing up to God. Now we're going to be thinking of those true cross arms. And one would be like the meal offering, the perfect life of the Lord Jesus in display on this earth. The other side, we could say that it would be representing this peace offering. Now the peace offering is the Gospel of Luke. Almost in every chapter in the Gospel of Luke, we find eating or tables. And this is communion offering. This is how you and I can enjoy the very same object as God himself enjoys 
And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And for this reason, the prodigal son story is only in Luke. It would be entirely out of place in any other gospel because it is your and my being able to share the same thoughts as God has of his beloved son and what his son has done for him and very, very important communion with one another, fellowship with one another. We're living in a time when centrifugal force is in effect. Everything is flowing off in, in, in different directions and independency is developing. And groups of Christians are meeting in little cells by themselves and they may be perfectly sincere, but it is not bringing honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. 650 groups of Christians in the world today all claiming to be gathered to the Lord's name and more and more a multiplicity of them. But it's independence. It's independence of the word of God. It's resisting the power of the spirit of God that would unite us all into one fellowship. Ephesians 4 and 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the uniting bond of peace. This is the peace offer. And this is fellowship one with another. The first epistle of John First uh, early verses say, And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Every believer would enjoy that fellowship with God and the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come down to verse 7, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. One with another. Do you seek that fellowship? That's so important for the Lord's glory and your blessing. If we seek the welfare of each other, if we desire to go on with each other, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Caleb was a stiller of the people. Are you a stiller in this assembly? Am I a stiller in my assembly? Or am I a disturber? Like Achan was. This is what the Lord desires, fellowship, closeness, oneness, oneness. And so here now we read just a little bit in this third chapter. And if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offer it of the herd, now here it is again, a larger animal, whether it be a male or, notice this now, female, first time it's female, it's making allowance now for the church in our failures. I trust I say it properly. Not God making provision for failure, but enabling you and me with our old nature still on us to have full communion with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ and with one another, those who seek to go on to honor the Lord Jesus. Verse 3. And he shall offer of the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire unto the Lord, the fat that covereth the inwards, and all the fat that is upon the inwards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is thereon, and so on. It gives all the detail how that every little part of that fat needed to be taken out. 
And that fat was taken because it was God's food and it was put on that brazen altar and God has hid, had his food there. We won't take time. You can read these things for yourself. The priest that was accepting this offering, he would cut out the shoulder and it was for Aaron and his sons to eat. He would take out the breast and the priest that did the offering, he would have that part for himself. And the rest of the animal was for the man that brought the offering and those friends of his that were clean. Now, it makes it very plain, doesn't it? This is the communion offering. This is fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with one another. This is Luke's gospel. When you read Luke's gospel, remember that this is the peace offering or the communion offering, one with another. How you and I, just like the arms of the blessed Lord, come out and reaches uh, to us and embraces us. Now we go to the fourth chapter. Here is the sin and the trespass offering. Here again, it's divided into four and in turn, two of them and two of them. Chapter 4. And the Lord spake unto Moses, how important that was, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which he ought not, which ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin which he hath sinned a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. I don't want to go too far because this is so full of meaning. You're going to see that these are divided into four groups. The first two are very serious nature. Because one of them here uh, is the priest, verse 3. You go down to the 13th verse. If the whole congregation of Israel sin through ignorance. Now those two, I'll explain uh, briefly the difference, but possibly we can see it a little plainer if you understand the next two groups. Verse 22. When a ruler hath sinned and done somewhat through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord. Verse 27. And if any one of the common people sin through ignorance while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord and so on. Now here are four separate categories. The first one was the priest. The second one was the whole congregation. Now, when one of those sinned, it was far more serious than it was later on in the third one, when a ruler sinned or when an individual did. Now, I would just would like to explain this, that when a person who has walked with the Lord in their life and is a recognized as a teacher of the scriptures and is a professing Christian, last of all, 
When that person sins, it's far greater offense than if it is one person who knows very little, uninstructed, possibly brought up in a background where the sin was just the way of life and so it wasn't recognized very seriously, such as immorality and so on. But when those first two paragraphs, those first two categories sinned, if this sacrifice wasn't made, the whole of this congregation of Israel would be out of communion with God. That was how serious it was. And beloved ones, let's remember that, that sin is an offense against God. But the more you and I know of the holiness of God, and when we do those things uh, that are not pleasing to the Lord, the more you know, the more serious it is when you allow something in your life and when I allow something in my life that I should. Now, when those uh, first two groups sinned, the blood had to be taken in, side, blood from the, that sacrifice, and it was brought before the Lord, sprinkled before the veil, and the body of those animals was taken out of the camp and burned outside there in a clean place. When the other ones did those sins, it was not the same. When the priest accepted that sacrifice, the blood was sprinkled here on the horns of the brazen altar. The blood didn't go inside, but when it, the blood was sprinkled there, the animal had to be eaten. Let's go over to the sixth chapter. Uh, I won't read 25, but 26. The priest that offereth it for sin, that's 626, shall eat it in the holy place that uh, shall it be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation. See, the holy place and the court were the same expression there. So, now, this is an important thing for us, beloved ones, that the, the difference was in the seriousness of the, or at least the person who committed that, making that sin the more serious. When the sin offering was eaten, the blood was there. If the blood went in, the animal was taken out into a clean place, and there it was burnt, ashes scattered. Now, in the assembly, when something has gone wrong, sad to say, when someone has fallen into an offense, every case has to be considered individually. There is no set of rules. There's no protocol or there is no jurisprudence as to deal with matters. Each one has to be individually brought before the Lord. He'll read that over and over again, before the Lord. The assembly is never going to be in a state of soul to be able to handle or to deal with that matter unless the assembly eats that sin offering. In other words, saying in your own heart, not professing it loudly and saying, oh yes, it was awful. No, to get before the Lord and say, I did that. That's eating the sin offering. It is very important for us to realize that in the assembly. 
then the assembly is going to be in a state of soul to be able to deal with it in a godly way. Eating the sin offering would mean, as I said, to make that offense my own. Secondly, why would that offense be taking place in the first place? Because the state of the assembly has gone down. Because there is carelessness. I'm going to cite you a case of a brother who went on for 20 years, 20 years in immorality, and nobody knew it. There was a sense that there was something wrong, but it was never brought out. He never was found out, and he never confessed it. He told me afterwards, when he confessed the whole story, that it was as if a man was with a 50-pound mallet that was striking him on the head when the subject of 1 Corinthians 5 came up. That was because, I would venture to say, because the state of the assembly was more as it should be in a healthy condition. When the assembly is careless, a person might be going on in sin and not have a conscience about it. When they come into the assembly, they just don't notice anything. The the presence of the Lord is, is not felt So the assembly is very responsible individually, I put it this way. I must judge my own heart to make sure that there is nothing going on in my life. I'm not to be going around poking into the life of others, but I have to judge my own heart and to make sure, 1 Corinthians 5, so let a man examine himself and so let him eat individually. This is my responsibility. 1 Corinthians 11 is the assembly's responsibility. I'm reversing it. I'm sorry. The 11th chapter is the individual's responsibility. So let a man examine himself and so let him eat. The 5th chapter is the assembly's responsibility. So the assembly is very responsible. Why? Because we're not a voluntary association of Christians. I can go to a group of Christians no doubt anywhere in Los Angeles, and I can join them if I agree with what they teach. But you can't join the Lord's table because you want to. It's his holy table, and there's only one Lord's table. We're not saying that we have the Lord's table, but I'm sure that it is important for us to grasp the fact that the Lord can't be divided. And if we see the blessed truth of the early stages, or at least the very beginning, the introduction of the assembly, only one assembly, of course. There were many assemblies in different uh, cities, but they were all in one fellowship. One person was in fellowship in Ephesus, he was in fellowship in Corinth, and so on. But as the years went on, it rotted away. And as it got so bad, then the truth was revealed maybe 150 years ago or so, And the assembly is outside of the camp now. And if you and I, beloved ones, realize the seriousness of sin allowed in my life, whether it's moral or doctrinal or ecclesiastical, the latter two are worse than the first because they're offense against the Lord Jesus, well, then we are going to be individually careful about our life that we're not going to be bringing evil into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what an offense that is. This is why we are careful. If we are not careful, 
a man would come to the person would come to the door and say, I'd like to break bread with you. You might say to him, are you baptized? Yeah, say, you're a Christian? Yes, well, break bread. Why would they say that? Why would a person say that? Because they're not conscious of the presence of the Lord Jesus. But when you and I are deeply conscious of it, it is for the Lord that we are going to be careful. We're going to be good doorkeepers. That's because of us. It has nothing to do with us. But it is because of the holy presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are there any questions? We're going to stop now for ten minutes. My wife reminded me I didn't finish the illustration of the, the cross. The burnt offering pointing up to God exclusively. The two arms, that which would bring before us the life of the Lord Jesus, the meal offering. On the other side, the, the peace offering, communion with the Lord Jesus and with one another. And then the one piece that goes down, as it were, speaking reverently, into the earth, how you and I come up. And that's the sin and the trespass offering. So this is just helps us a little bit. But if we're just constantly occupied with this one, it would be just like a, a little person, grow, at least a person growing up and finally constantly saying to their parents, I'm glad I'm born, I'm glad I'm born, I'm glad I'm born. We want to grow beyond that, don't we? We want to, as growing now, we want to learn more. And so, those are the offerings. Now we're going to come to the last of the part of the tabernacle, and that is the coverings. Danny has been asking some very good questions, and so I'm going to ask him to help me now. And we're going to look at them before we... Uh, <clears throat> read them because it will help us a little bit better. Let's go ahead to the front, Danny. Here is the first uh, or the inside covering. Let's hold it up high so everybody can see it. It's just a rough idea of what it might look like. All beautifully, magnificently woven. They say that it was, uh, tradition said it was a wonderful uh, work of, of art and it tells us in the, just a second Danny, it tells us in the scriptures that the wise hearted people uh, alone given wisdom from God in order to be able to do this immaculate needlework it was a work of art so we're going to reverse this now no, no change your hands there, remember yeah, that's it we are. That's it. And so we're going to put it on here. Uh, look at the the panels. These are panels that are all joined together with knots, with cords. And there was a panel, 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 panel. Four, five panels, I should say. And then another five panels all knotted together. And then the two finally all clasped together with gold clasps, and so two became one. Now we know that this is a, a picture of Pentecost. There were 50 knots here, and we know that the Lord Jesus Christ died on that. He was dead on that Saturday, and seven Sabbaths later, 
and one day added would bring it to what day? What One day after Saturday. Right, Sunday. So the Holy Spirit came down on Sunday. Good thing to remember that. Eh? It's the Lord's day. Also the day that the Holy Spirit came down. And he tied, as it were, all the believers together. And this could be like the Jews, like the Gentiles, two different groups. And at Pentecost, they were all brought into the truth of the one body. It wasn't that they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit individually at that day. That had taken place when the Lord Jesus, after his resurrection, he breathed on the disciples and he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And so they received the Holy Spirit after his resurrection, but when the day of Pentecost came, they were all joined into one body. What a blessed privilege it is for you and for me as gathered to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be living out this truth of one body. In other words, every believer on the face of the earth is in that one body. We're not in a separate group here. We're just gathered to the name of the Lord Jesus and as that, we are living this out that the door stands open for every believer uh, here in Burbank. Every believer has a right to be at the Lord's table. The only thing that can keep that person from the table is sin allowed or association with those things that are not according to the word of God. So, we're going to put this on, Danny. And just before we do, we're going to remember that these are gold clasps and they came right through, of course, it was double, uh, and the pattern was on both sides, and the gold clasps came through, and they were that on which the veil was hung. And so that's how we know where, the veil, where that holiest of all began. So we'll just lay it down there and let it fall down, and there we will see. Now, don't let it uh, touch the, the, the ground, that's right. Now, let's read it. Exodus 26, verse 1. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains. Now, there were the ten curtains, the ten little, the ten panels. A fine twined linen, we remember from the keys what they meant, blue, purple, and scarlet, with cherubims. There were the heavenly beings woven into that beautiful covering. The length of one curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the breadth of one curtain shall be four cubits, and every one of the curtains shall have one measure. I think I counted about 30 times the word one is used in these chapters. Five curtains shall be coupled together. There were the five. One to another. And other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. Beautiful words there, like gathered together, coupled together. And thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of the one curtain from the selvage in the coupling, and likewise shalt thou make in the uttermost edge of another curtain 
in the coupling of the second. Fifty loops shalt thou make in the one curtain, and fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second, that the loops may take hold one of another. And thou shalt make fifty tatches of gold and couple the curtains together with the tatches and it shall be one tabernacle. Now there are six verses. We'll remember that. Six verses that describe this covering. It's not really a covering. It isn't referred to as a covering. As a matter of fact, it's called the tabernacle. Why, I don't know. The second covering has another title. This is called the tabernacle. We saw that it was 28 cubits this way. We remember also that the boards were 10 cubits high, that this made exactly 10 cubits across because there were six boards here of a cubit and a half, and then there was a half, uh, then there were the boards that went this way, and they were a half a cubit each uh, thickness. So that would make the ten cubits across here. So that this would be in all thirty cubits. But this inside covering is twenty-eight and there was one cubit hanging at the bottom on both sides. We'll recognize that this is a marvelous, superbly, uh, superb illustration, we might say, of the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pure white linen, those three colors woven into them, the cherubims, his holiness protected, and then never touching the sand. When the Lord Jesus was here as a man, he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. He never was soiled by his contact with the world. We are soiled constantly, are we not, as we meet with this world. You boys and girls go to school and you hear dirty stories at school. That soils you. And you're a Christian. And that soils you. That makes you unclean. But the Lord Jesus was never unclean. This was a picture of the Lord Jesus in all his beauty and his loveliness. And yet he never was soiled by the sand, by the contact with this world. The gold, is the, uh, this one is the only one of the four coverings that has these gold clasps. The power of the divine person of the Lord Jesus uniting all these believers together. The Levites that lived Along this side, they were called the Gershonites, part of the Levite family. They were the ones that carried these coverings. And I presume it was such a large covering that every time the tabernacle would move, these Marara, these uh, Gershonites would have to take every one of those knots uh, and untie them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Four hundred and fifty knots on this one covering alone. And there was another covering that we'll come to in a minute. 
which had even more cover, uh, more knots in it. So that was quite a job for them. Knot tires. It's nice to be a knot tire in the assembly, isn't it? To keep us all together, seeking the welfare of each other and desiring that we would all walk in in unity together. Now I realize that this is the work of the Spirit of God uh, to do it originally, but as I quoted in Ephesians 4 and 3, we are to endeavor. That's a responsibility. You and I are responsible to endeavor to maintain, not to develop. We don't develop a unity, we maintain it. And to maintain, to endeavor to maintain that unity. I ask myself, I ask you, are we those that would desire to see that unity maintained for the Lord's glory? The only way this covering was ever going to be seen was when the priests went inside. They would look down, they would see the sand. There was no floor on the tabernacle. But when they would look up, just straight up uh, over their heads, they would see this beautiful covering. When you and I, beloved ones, are occupied, occupied with that blessed one, our eyes heavenward, Colossians 3 says, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, where Christ is. What are our thoughts and our affections settled on? On things on this earth or heavenly? You and I are going to be enjoying the blessed Lord Jesus as we are walking in separation from evil and our eyes lifted up. Let me give you another verse. John's Gospel 14, verse 23. He that hath my word and keepeth it, he it is that loveth me, and he shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to have our view filled with the loveliness of Christ. Is there anything more in life? What else could there be in this life that would ever satisfy our redeemed hearts? Nothing, beloved ones, but occupied an occupation with Christ. And in turn, as it were, like a camera opens its aperture in order to reveal that face of the Lord speaking reverently when our eye is up on him. And so he reveals himself. He becomes more attractive to you and to me as we pass on through this life. Occupation with Christ in all his beauty and loveliness. I said on the first day that you will see that as the tabernacle uh, goes on in construction, it gradually becomes more beautiful each time. Another covering is added on. Danny, we're ready for the second. Now this is a big room. We'll go up in the front here. This is larger in both directions. Show it first over on this side. You'll see that there are six panels on this side and only five on that one. It's longer this way too. It's 30 cubits instead of 28. It has, doesn't say what these uh, knots of these cords were made of, but it does say that this central one was of copper. It's moving away now, as we mentioned before, from the Lord's presence. And so the, the, the 
metals, you just take that in there. No, that's it. And the other corner, that's it. Now we're going to hang, put it in its place and we're going to let the second covering go right over where the gold is, but we're going to let the front hang over the front of the tabernacle. And we'll read about this in a minute. And this is going to loop back. Now we'll read about this. We noticed that the first one had six verses here. We have seven. And thou, verse seven, and thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be or for a covering upon the tabernacle. We remember the other one was called the tabernacle. Here is the covering of the tabernacle and it is called a tent. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. Verse 8. The length of one curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of one curtain four cubits, and the eleven curtains shall be all of one measure. And then it goes on to describe uh, the tatches of brass in the eleventh verse, and the remnant, that is this last piece that hangs over the back, uh, is described there. Notice what it says in verse 13. And a cubit on the one side and a cubit on the other side of that which remaineth in the length of the curtains of the tent, it shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. Now we use that scripture to confirm the fact that the cords didn't go underneath it as some of the illustrations show it and these coverings hanging out here. This verse couldn't be applied. It tells us now that there was one cubit, you see, between the difference of this curtain, of this covering, and the one underneath. And that would only be possible if they were hanging straight down. So these were 30 cubits. And this can be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as the prophet that came down from heaven. Deuteronomy 18 tells us that Moses wrote and said, The Lord shall raise up a prophet such as me. Him will the people hear. That was referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers hath in these last days spoken unto us in Son. And so this can be likened to the Lord Jesus as the prophet from God, the voice of God. They asked the Lord Jesus, who dost thou say that thou art? And he said, altogether all that I have spoken unto you. The life of the Lord Jesus was perfectly expressed in everything that he said. So this can be like that covering, which is called the tent. Now here we come to a very interesting one, beautiful for a number of reasons. Look at the next verse. I think it's the 14th verse. And you will see that it just takes a half a verse and it says, and a covering of ram skins dyed red. Just a half a verse. Is that the 14th verse? There it is. Now there are four or five things about this covering that are so touching. One is half a verse, just passing in passing. 
Ram skins dyed red. The ram was used in consecration. Let's put it on now. Reverse. That is one thing, half a verse. The second thing is there were no strips, no panels. Oh, I, I interrupted myself. The ram skin, the ram was the consecration, the animal used in the consecration of the high priest. Dyed red, telling not of the high priest's death, but of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wholly given to God. We say it with bated breath, I trust. Half a verse. A ram skins dyed red. What is embraced in a little half verse? You and I will never, through eternity, grasp what it was for the Lord Jesus Christ to live here on this earth totally to the glory of God the Father. Half a verse, no strips. Third thing, no uh, telling of it being in sections or divided at all. The glorious person of the Lord Jesus in his devotion could never be measured, nor was he divided. It couldn't be divided. They divided the, the coat, at least the garments of the Lord Jesus on the cross, and when they came to his coat, it was indivisible. It is a picture of his divinity, and so the soldiers wouldn't tear that coat. This is spoken of as just as being one piece, totally devoted to the Lord Jesus. And the last thing, totally devoted to God. And the last thing is, nobody ever saw this. When it was in place, it's going to disappear. No one, as I said, could ever, in life or in eternity, evaluate the devotion of Christ to his Father. This is a hidden mystery known to God the Father. No wonder he could open the heavens and say, this is my beloved Son in whom I find my delight. You and I are going to share those delights in the glory with that blessed God and Father of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we enjoying him now? You dear young people, I look into your faces. I just trust that you are enjoying the Lord. There's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy you. I know I've tried it. And I ended up with a handful of ashes. And you will too. Our heart is spoiled for this world. And if you and I are occupied with him, we're going to see his loveliness and his beauty. And we're going to be attracted away from all the tinsel and the uselessness of this world that is only making promises that it never keeps. Last one, Danny. Don't know what color this was. It was the other half of that verse, 14th verse. And here is the badger skins. Some think it was just a color. Some think it was uh, a, an, a, a skin that was very strong. The only reference that I've ever found in other scriptures is in Ezekiel 16, where speaking of the bride there of Israel, it says that I shod thee with badger skins, with shoes of badger skins. In other words, it was a protection. It separated from the world, separated Israel from the world. So this now is going to go on and completely cover 
all those beautiful colors and it is going to be a protection. Can you get that to cover the red there? Tuck the red in under. Now there we are. Ram skin at least, badger skins covering it all. How beautiful to realize that that blessed one is our protection. Every one of us in this room is kept alive. Kept alive. Otherwise, Satan would kill every one of us. He'd destroy the testimony. He keeps you and me alive. Let me give you a verse from Romans 5. Much more being justified by his blood, we shall be saved by his life. You and I are kept alive today. We who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are kept alive by the life of the Lord Jesus in the glory. Do you realize that? Or do we just say, well, we're just another person. This is what was over that whole tabernacle, protecting it from the, the wind and the sand, those things that would destroy those, some of those beautiful colors inside there. Here was that protection. Blessed Lord Jesus, this is what he is for you and for me. Kept by the power of God. First Peter 1 Peter 1.5 Kept by the power of God. Now you can just feel like these coverings are like love. First epistle of Corinthians was teaching us doctrine. And it was like foot washing. Teaching us. The second epistle, somebody said, is like the towel, the nice hot, warm towel. That's like the coverings. We've been learning that we're the boards and all this access that we have. But now we're finding that we are enveloped with Christ in all those different varied uh, beauties of him. The manifold, beautiful colors like Joseph's coat of many colors. Here we are covered now with that protective uh, different qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, it says that there were cords. I'm not going to take time to clasp them on, but there are nails here that will hold these uh, on and keep this whole tabernacle protected. doesn't say how many cords, doesn't say what color, but it does say that there were cords. And so there they were just like the arms of the Lord enveloping us and keeping us, protecting us. When the last one, beloved ones, is taken, put in, the last board put into place, this whole church of, of God, the Lord, that has been purchased with the blood of Christ, is going to rise to meet the Lord in the air. Now let's just look at a verse or a few verses to finish off our talk right at the end of Exodus. Verse uh, chapter 39, verse 42. It's a beautiful verse. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the work. And Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it, as the Lord had commanded, even so had they done it, and Moses blessed them. Oh, what a beautiful verse. 
what's this saying to you and to me? If you and I are willing to bow to the authority, uh, or at least the instruction of the Word of God in worship, in worship. I emphasize that because when it comes to worship, there are no allowances at all for any variance. Paul, as I quoted once before, in, in 1 Timothy 1.3 says, See that they teach no other doctrine. Are you and I willing in a day of compromise when the, Christian, the Christians in this world are slipping away from the truth of the Lord's coming and say that there's a partial rapture, that only those that are looking for the Lord are going to go, that the church is going to go through the tribulation. I believe that if the Lord doesn't come soon, why, that it, this will be an accepted doctrine amongst all Christians that the church is going to go through the, the tribulation. It is not true. But you and I, beloved ones, need to be confirmed uh, in this truth and to walk in it and to obey the word of God. I don't like to obey anybody by nature. You dear boys and girls, if your father and mother is insist, are, they are insisting on your obedience, you can thank God for it because they have a father that they must obey. And if you and I are going to be obedient to the word of God and walk in the truth, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. God will bless you. But it's a narrow path. It's not a popular path. More and more Christians are saying there's no path left. That's what we always say when we get our eye off the Lord. We have to go it by ourselves. Beloved ones, it is a path that is marked out by the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ in this verse. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. I believe that that verse confirms the fact that there will be a, per, a testimony preserved until that day. Now let's go over to the last chapter. Verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. Now this is God's answer. A cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. How beautiful. To sit down in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and know that blessed presence in which we sit. That cloud of glory fills the house. Or do you just come in and say, it's another meeting. If we see the Lord, we're going to be remembering this. The cloud and the glory filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was deeply conscious of the holiness of the presence of the Lord. And that glory just filled that cloud, that room, that tabernacle, so that he was not able to enter into it. But you and I are, just like in the 12th of John's Gospel, when Mary broke that box of spikenard very costly, anointed the blessed feet of the Lord Jesus, it says the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Beloved ones, this is the sweetest privilege that you and I have on the face of this earth. Do we prize it? Or are we going to fritter it away and think, well, it doesn't matter where you go. Oh, beloved ones, think of the Lord's glory. He doesn't have much left on this earth. Are we going to live for him? Are we going to stand for the truth? Or are we going to compromise the glory? You'll be conscious of that glory. If, you, if we walk in communion with the Lord. Now, let me just finish off. 
verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? The cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Is the Lord with us? Yes, indeed, beloved ones. He is with us till the last moment until he comes for us. A, sun, a light in the day and a fire to warm us and keep, give us light at night. Rich provision, everything is provided for us. God has given us every provision now. Beloved ones, let's walk, walk on now in this truth so dear to the heart of Christ, so much attacked by Satan in his suggestions of this, that, or next thing, or it doesn't matter where we meet, we can just meet by ourselves and so on. The Lord, he says here, day and night it went on right to the end. May the Lord just give you and me with deeper and ever deeper consciousness that it is a privilege unspeakable on the face of this earth to walk with the Lord through this sin-cursed earth, soon to be gone into judgment and cast forever into the lake of fire. We, beloved ones, are going to be with that blessed one in the glory, not as spectators, but we're going to be participators Partakers of that glory that he has bought at such a price. We're going to gaze on his blessed face forever.